At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. All right, this morning, if you have a Bible or electronic device, I want to encourage you to take it out and turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. We were in, we've been in Matthew for a while as we, over the past several weeks, we're looking at Matthew 24 and 25, and then uh, over Good Friday, we went through 26 and 27, and now today we're in Matthew chapter 28. Let me ask you a question. How many of you guys know what a snow globe is? Raise your hand high if you know. I know what a snow globe is. How many of you like snow globes? Okay, good. Snow globes are, are kind of neat. I like snow globes. And uh, you know what I like about snow globes is when you sit them on the shelf and they're just sitting there all still, you know, you can see through the big glass bulb and, and through the liquid that's in there, it looks as though everything's at peace, right? There, a lot of times inside of snow globes, they have little maybe Christmas scenes of little quiet towns. And you look at them and it looks so peaceful. It looks so quiet. But then someone comes along and gives that little snow globe a bump or takes that snow globe and begins to shake it vigorously, and what happens? All of the things that were, were silent and quiet begin to shake, and there's chaos, and there's, there's uh, all kinds of stuff going all over the place. Everything that, that seemed to be still, everything that seemed um, to be quiet is now violently shaken, and all heck is breaking loose, and chaos is ensuing inside of that snow globe. Have you ever thought about it like that? You're like, no, it's just like a little seed. No, chaos is happening inside of that snow globe. And I think a lot of times in our lives, we live our lives that way, like snow globes. Right? We live our lives wanting to be that snow globe that's on the shelf, as though we want everyone to see our lives as peaceful and quiet and everything looks perfect. But then inevitably, you know and I know that in life there comes those bumps, there comes those crises and those times where our snow globe and our world just gets shaken and then it seems like everything is thrown into utter chaos. The things that were hidden now come into light. The things that we tried to hide now come to the forefront and who we really are comes out because all of the fear that we've tried to hide comes to the forefront. All of the guilt that we tried to hide comes to the forefront. All of the shame that was there before comes to the forefront. And then we have all these questions without answers and our lives are turned upside down. And in these moments where we feel shaken, in these moments of crisis, we walk through a season of testing. Right, you know these crises. These crises come in our lives every single day. You, you walk it through losing a job. That's a moment of crisis. When a relationship that you've been in for a season becomes broken, you walk through a season of crisis. When you find out that one of your friends has a disease and is, is sick, you go through a crisis. When you are sitting at the doctor's office and you get the word cancer given to you as a diagnosis, you're shaken. Someone in your life dies our world gets turned upside down we go through seasons of crisis we all do it even though we want to hope for and we want to we want to hold on to those times of peace where everything seems still and quiet we know it's only a few moments before we go through another time of shaking but crisis comes and crisis are really tests of faith they're really tests of faith because it's during the times of crisis that what we really believe gets tested. 
Have you ever gone through a crisis where your faith was tested? Ever go through a season where you have more questions than answers? When we go through these crises, whatever we've placed our faith in gets tested. And we go through a season possibly of disorientation where we're trying to like get our bearings or we go through a time of maybe even some depression or maybe we go through times of just more and more questions. And if what we've placed our faith in, the object, the person, the thing that is the object of our faith, if that cannot withstand the crisis, we immediately begin to crumble inside then we reject that object of faith, and then we quickly run to find something else to replace that. Right? It doesn't matter who you are. All people are people of faith. There's, it doesn't matter where you're from or where you're born. Everyone is a person of faith. That means there's something that we're all trusting in, maybe for salvation, we're trusting in for hope, we're trusting in for peace, and a lot of people are placing faith in things that will not withstand the trials of life. Maybe you've been there in your life. Maybe you trusted you had all of your weight inside of a relationship. And then when that relationship disintegrated, you were at a loss. You didn't know what to do. You didn't know what to think. You didn't know where to go. So today, as we walk through this passage today, this is kind of the place where we see the people that have walked through this season of Jesus' life. Maybe you can relate and you will be able to relate to Mary Magdalene as she was walking through this test of her faith where the object of her faith has been shaken. This morning we're going to go back to the Gospel of Matthew and pick up where we left off. On Friday what we see is that Jesus has been crucified. Jesus has been handed over. He's been crucified. He bears the wrath of God on the cross, and he dies. He's taken off the cross, and he's laid in a tomb. And then on Saturday, all of Scripture is silent. And the very next scene, what we see coming on, is at the tomb. It's the tomb on Sunday morning. Look at me in verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now, this is pretty amazing, and so many times we can read through this narrative account, and we can skip over some of the minute details. And what I think is very important about this is that Jesus makes sure that we understand that the first people to come to the tomb were female disciples. There's a a vast difference between the way that the male disciples and the female disciples dealt with the death of Jesus. For in scripture, what we see is the male disciples, what they did is for a season, they had abandoned Jesus. They didn't abandon him in their faith, but they abandoned him. They went away from him as he walked through times of persecution and his death. But as you walk through the biblical narrative, what we see is the women, the female disciples, they were courageously following Jesus. They were there at his crucifixion. They were there when they laid him in the tomb and was buried. And we see here, even on this Sunday morning, the first day of the week, the first people to go to the tomb again were women. I think Jesus is helping us see the importance that women are super important in advancing the mission of God. So many times societies and other cultures want to push women down and say that they're not important. But we see over and over and over again Jesus always constantly elevating the role and the worth of women inside the body of Christ. 
It's these women that come to the tomb. It's these women that have, have walked with Jesus and followed Jesus. And, and on this Sunday morning, they had to wait till after 5 o'clock on Saturday night because they couldn't prepare his body fully because of the Sabbath. But as soon as they could, it's Saturday night. They go out to the store and they buy the spices. And then as early as they can on Sunday morning, they come to the tomb to help prepare Jesus' body for his final burial. We see two women here. We see Mary Magdalene and another Mary. I want us to to just quickly see the crisis of faith that Mary Magdalene is going through right now as she's walking through this season in her life. Mary was, was a woman that was touched by God, who was healed by God. Luke chapter eight gives this this account. It says, as Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, there were 12 with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out of. So early on in Jesus' ministry, he's going about performing all of these miracles. And we've got to understand that when Jesus is going about through the Gospels and he's doing miracles, he's doing the miracles for a very specific purpose. He wants to show everyone that God is more powerful, that he is more powerful than anything that's on this earth. So the time that Jesus walks out on water and the time that Jesus heals or or stops the storm, what Jesus is showing is that he's more powerful than nature. Right When Jesus goes and he heals the sick and he heals the lame, Jesus is showing that he's more powerful than disease. And Jesus, when Jesus heals Lazarus and raises him from the dead, Jesus shows that he's more powerful than death. And even in this encounter that he has years ago with Mary Magdalene, he's showing that God, that Jesus has more power than the demons. This woman, Mary of Magdalene, was a woman that was from the fishing town of Magdala, which was on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. And Mark and Luke both record the healing of Mary's life in their gospel accounts. So we have to imagine just for a moment Mary's life before she meets Jesus. The Bible tells us that she is uh, tormented with seven evil spirits. She is uh, demon-possessed. And with her being demon-possessed, that would have rocked her world because she would have lost everything. Being a Jewish woman that was demon-possessed, she would have been ostracized from everyone else because she would have been unclean. And so she would have lost her family. She would have lost her friends. She would have lost everyone. So she's all alone, and she's in torment because these demons are tormenting her both physically and psychologically. So day in and day out, she's in a place of utter desperation. And in the right time, in the right way, Jesus comes to her. In her deepest pain, in her darkest moment, Jesus comes and he heals her. And being overwhelmed by the fact of seeing what Jesus does immediately in her life, she begins to follow Jesus and she begins to listen to all the things that he says and she begins to believe in him more and more and she hears him tell about that he has come not only to heal people physically, but he has come to finally heal, heal people spiritually so that people who are rebellious of God against God could once again be made right with him and have fellowship with him. And she believed this Jesus. She believed that Jesus was coming and had come to establish his kingdom in the hearts of people. And she wanted to follow him all of her days, and she did. But then she watches him die. She watches him laid in the tomb, and she sees the stone that's rolled in front of the tomb. 
and she begins to question everything. Is Jesus really who he said he is? I know Jesus healed me. I know that I once was filled with demons and now I'm not. I know that he did this because I felt it, but can I really trust him for salvation? Will he really save me in the end? And so she's wrestling with this, but she comes faithfully anyway. She came to the tomb on that day expecting to see Jesus' dead body. How do we know that? Because she comes with the spices. She's coming to say goodbye. Even though she doesn't understand anything, we see that she, even though she doesn't understand, she remains faithful. She still trusts in God, and so she comes with the spices on that day, and look what she sees in verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone, and then he sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes white as snow, and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here For he has risen as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb. And with great fear and great joy, they ran and they tell the disciples. It's amazing how God always in the right time, in the right way, shows up in our most deepest moments of need. And this is exactly what he does for Mary Magdalene. In this moment, he brings resolution to this Christ, her crisis of faith. He comes in, this message comes in an unmistakable way. As the earth shakes and the angels come down from heaven and they see the stone rolled away. And those that witnessed this terrifying event responded in two ways. Right, we see the guards who didn't understand what was going on. They're just trying to do their job. They're, they're just there trying to protect the grave. Now the grave is, the stone is rolled away and they're filled with fear because they know their, their job was to guard the tomb. And now Jesus is gone and they know that they face certain death. And so they, they tremble with fear. They're so overwhelmed that they stand almost as though they are dead. But then we see the women seeing the same event, want to go down that that road of fear, but instead the angel of the Lord says, no, no, don't fear. You're here coming to see Jesus, but guess what? He's gone. He's not here. He is alive. And in an instant, in an instant, that crisis of faith is melted away. Jesus can be trusted because he's always true to his word. He told her already back in Matthew chapter 26. He says, when I am am lifted up, I am going to come back and meet me in Galilee. I died in Jerusalem, but I'm I'm coming back. Meet me in Galilee. That's where you should go because that's where I'm going to be. I'm not going to be in this tomb. I'm going to be alive. And now, finally, she sees it. She hears this very same words from the angel, and she knows that God can be trusted. Do not be afraid. See, God had instru- Jesus had instructed them that they were to, once they see Jesus resurrected or hear of Jesus dying, that they were to go to Galilee. Galilee was some 60 miles away from Jerusalem. So they just 
hear about Jesus and we see that they go with great fear and great joy. What was a crisis, what was a place of of disorientation now comes back into joy, clear joy. And then look in verse 29. And behold, Jesus met them. So as they're going in joy, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Don't be afraid, but go and tell my brothers. Mary is the first person that has the ability to share the gospel message of Jesus. Do you see that? God is so gracious to allow the first evangelist to be a woman because she was there with him. And so now she's able to say, he is not dead. He has risen. He is alive. All of her hopes and all of her fears were met in Jesus on this day, in this moment. He has risen. Now go and tell the disciples. Go and tell them the good news. Go tell them they don't have to be afraid. But let's go to Galilee for that's where Jesus is going to be. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if Christ hasn't resurrected, then we're wasting our lives. If Christ hasn't been resurrected, then our faith is futile. Because it's no good for Jesus to die on the cross and pay the penalty for sin. That's only a part of it. It's not until Jesus resurrects that we too can have the hope of a resurrection for us. Because if Jesus is still on the cross or Jesus is still in the grave, then we're still sucking our sin. But if Jesus is resurrected, then we have a new life and we have new hope. I love how Paul writes in his letter to the Ephesians. He talks about this difference of of being dead and being alive and how Jesus makes the difference. Listen in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. He says in you, he's going to describe us apart from Christ. And he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sin in in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So Paul is describing us apart from Christ. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were following our own passions. We were denying that God was, God was our creator. We were denying the fact that we needed to be obedient to him. And it says that we all by nature were objects of wrath. We were enemies of God, dead in our sins, needing a savior in desperation. And then verse four of Ephesians, we see the most beautiful phrase of all of scripture, but God. In our place of desperation, in our sin, in our rebellion, but God. And what did God do? But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even though we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith that not of your own doing is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. But God who is rich in mercy 
made us alive with Christ. It's the resurrection of Jesus that promises that we too can be made alive. That we too no longer have to live in our trespasses and sins and our transgressions. But we can live in the power of God. And the amazing thing about this, it's all about his grace. It's nothing that you do. You can't be good enough. You can't be smart enough. You can't go to church enough in order to earn the grace and favor of God. All you can do is place faith and trust in the work of what Jesus has already done. This is the gospel message. Through placing faith in Jesus, we have the promise of spiritual healing. Through placing faith in Jesus, we have the promise of his presence. And we get to know that Jesus is with us. Jesus brings joy. That's what we see how Mary responds. When she meets Jesus, she met him the first time, she responded in joy because he healed her physically. And now he meets her again, or she meets him again, and now she's filled with joy because all of her hope has been made secure. So that's one scene. The second scene, we turn now into the city. We go from the tomb to the city. And not everyone responds to the resurrection of Jesus in the same way. Let's look in verse 11. It says, And while they, the women, were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole them away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ear, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. So the women see the resurrection of Jesus and they respond by rushing off in great joy and telling the disciples that Jesus is alive. But now we see these guards rush off in great fear. Jesus' resurrection to them was not a sign of great hope and a great salvation. Jesus' resurrection was a sign of their sure death. Because remember, the governor had put his own signet on the tomb and said, if this stone is broke, broken or if this tomb is open, whoever opens it is punishable by death. So these guards, they see what has just happened and they know they will surely die. So what do they do? They run off and they go see the chief priests and they say, hey, this is the situation that's been taking place. And we see the chief priests also act in a way that would be astonishing. Right? These Men were supposed to be the, the, um, the leaders of God's people. They're supposed to bring the people of God to God. And you would think that when they finally hear, of a, when they see this guy die and then hear that his body is gone, that he's raised from the dead, that they would finally click and that they would believe that he was Messiah. But that's not how they respond. They didn't want Jesus to be the Messiah because Jesus messed with their way of life. And so what did they seek to do? They wanted to quiet the truth. And so what do they do? They go to the guards and they say, okay, here's, here's some hush money. Just don't tell anybody what you saw. Don't tell anybody. But if, what you do tell them is that the disciples came and they did it. The disciples are the ones that took the body and you'll be okay. And then if, if Pilate comes back and Pilate's like, hey, what's going on? Don't worry, we got him too. We're gonna pay him off. See, they tried to silence the truth by covering it up because they didn't like it. The religious leaders were trying to quiet the truth because it wasn't convenient for them. 
Jesus actually competed with their lifestyle. The religious leaders were so broken, so deceived, and so burdened by their own sin that they desired so hard to cover up the truth. They thought it must be easier to maintain this facade even though they were broken inside. But here's the truth. You want to know the truth about truth? You can deny it. You can try to cover it up. But in the end, truth always wins. You can cover it up. You can deny it. But truth always wins. You may be here today and you may not like Jesus. You may not like that Jesus, that Jesus claims that he's the only way to heaven. You may not like that Jesus calls us to give up the rights of our lives and to follow him in obedience. And at the end of the day, no one can cover up the truth. It doesn't matter if you like it or not. It's true. It doesn't matter if we live in a world where they're constantly trying to silence the truth of Jesus. Because if Jesus is true, if Jesus is alive, it changes everything. And if Jesus is alive, we are required to follow him. We know that scripture teaches that there is coming a time that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Now that time of, of, of calling out to Jesus as Lord is either going to be a time of sweetness or a time of sorrow. For those that believe, it's going to be sweet because he is our Savior that has come to save us of our sins. And for those that cry out at that time, it'll be a time of sorrow because they'll know that they missed it. That whatever object of faith that they were trusting in for salvation does not hold up. So what do you do with the truth of Jesus? Have you actively believed? And have you allowed the truth of Jesus to penetrate your heart? Or have you been guilty of trying to cover it up? You're like, I don't need Jesus. I got everything under control. Third, we move on to the third scene, which is that of the mountain. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him there, when they saw him there, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. It's at this mountain that they now go. They go to Galilee, and I want us to see that there were originally 12 disciples, but only 11 made it. 12 disciples watched Jesus heal, listened to Jesus teach. All 12 of them were there and present, but one of them didn't make it. One of them didn't make it because he didn't fully believe his faith was in the things of this world. He cared more about money and he cared more about security than he cared about the Savior. And we see that he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He betrayed Jesus. Jesus was arrested and once realizing what he did, he couldn't take it any longer, so he went out and he killed himself. This is a place of despair when we have misplaced faith. Misplaced faith always will disappoint, and it leads us to a place of despair. And the only result, the only thing that you can do to cure all of that in yourself, if you're in control of your life, is to take your own life. Right? 
But Jesus said, follow me. And we see that 11 were faithful and they made it. And it's clear that Jesus wanted his disciples to meet him in Galilee. But what is so significant about this mountain? Well, let's think back. Galilee was the place where they all were called. Right by the sea from the, the shore as, they, as Jesus walked about, he said to them, come follow me. And they did. And so it was the place where they were called, and now we see it's the place where they were commissioned. So Jesus takes his disciples up to the top of the, this mountain, and as they're looking out over the valley, they, in their mind they're remembering all the things that they saw God do. Right? They're like, Peter's like, hey, that's right there is that place where I went fishing that one night. Remember that one night? I worked all night long and didn't catch anything, and then Jesus said, go put your nets out, and I did, and had so much fish. You guys remember that time? And then they're like, yeah, that was the place where Jesus walked on water. Remember that place right over there? That's where Jesus fed the 5,000. Remember that place right there? That's where Jesus raised the person from the dead. This is, this is all of the things that they're seeing. They're seeing all the things that Jesus did, and they're being reminded that God is faithful. Sometimes in our lives, when we go through difficult times, we need to look back and remember the times that God was with us even when we didn't see him or feel him. In essence, this is what Jesus is doing. He says, come back to the mountain. Come back to the mountain, and it's on this mountain that he wants to tell them about the mighty mission that he has for them. I want you to go to all nations and tell them about me. Teach them, baptize them to the ends of the earth. But even with this mighty mission that's before them, Jesus prefaces all that, says, all authority in heaven has been given, on earth has been given to me. So Jesus is saying, I've got this mighty mission for you, but I'm not sending you out without the power. I'm not sending you out without my presence. You're going with all of that. You're going with all of me, and you're going with all of my power to do all that I tell you to do. This is why you are alive. It is the person of Jesus that we have, we have his presence and we have his power. And it's this power that he gives us in our lives to remain faithful through the crisis of life, through the challenges of life. One of my dad's favorite songs growing up was the song, Because He Lives. You guys remember that old, old hymn? The chorus of that, that hymn, I think is so fitting for today. It goes like this, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. The power that resurrected Jesus from the dead is the same power that lives in us. But that is a promise that's only for those that believe. If you're here today and you don't believe in Jesus yet, I encourage you to make today the day that you turn from your sin and call on the name of the Lord for salvation. And he will come in and he will be your king and he will be your Lord. Maybe this Easter you've just been needed to be reminded of God's faithfulness, that God is a promise maker and God is a promise keeper. And maybe even walking through a season of crisis, a season of difficulty, let me remind you, that somehow even your pain is a part of God's unfolding plan. Continue to be faithful. Continue to trust in him. 
and live in the resurrected power that is inside of us as tests of faith come. Let us be faithful. In what way do you need to be faithful this Easter? In what way has God been challenging you? In what way has God been growing you so that you may remain faithful? Such a good thing to have God's presence in our lives, knowing that we don't have to go through difficulties on our own, but that he walks with our challenges with us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Father, I think each one of us here can identify with Mary Magdalene. We've been at those places in our lives where we've heard of you, we may have followed you, but we may find ourselves in a place where it's hard to trust you. It's hard to see what you're up to. But Father, just as you were faithful to reveal yourself to Mary Magdalene, once again, we ask that you reveal yourself to us in a way that we know that you are faithful. But Father, also you call us as we experience your life and your grace in our lives to not keep it to ourselves, but you command us to go and to share with others. And Father, maybe that's what we need to repent of today. Maybe we've had the gospel message in our heart for years and we've stopped sharing it. Maybe we've started just keeping it to ourselves and saying, hey, someone else is gonna share the gospel with my neighbor. Someone else is gonna share the gospel with my family member. Let's be reminded today that not only does the resurrection give us power to live, but the resurrection gives us power to go and to proclaim the love of Jesus to others. So Father, as we sing these songs together now, May we sing them from a place of worship. May our response to the resurrection and to your presence in our lives be the same as Mary Magdalene and the disciples. May we fall at your feet in worship. May we lift our hands high in surrender and say, Lord, I'm all yours. I am all yours. I'm all yours. And in that place of surrender, May we once again find the meaning, purpose, and direction that God has for us. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.